Welcome to the Think Data podcast, brought to you in partnership with DataWorks. If you want to stay up to date with the latest breakthroughs and trends in the world of data and artificial intelligence, and if you're curious about some of the strategies that companies and founders use to launch data and AI products, then you're in the right place. Our aim is to bring together a diverse lineup of fantastic guests, from the founders through to accomplished leaders and product owners at some of the most fascinating data and AI companies worldwide. They will each offer you their own unique insight into what it takes to launch and scale a great data business. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the episode. This is the Think Data podcast in partnership with DataWorks. And today I'm really excited to welcome Imalik Jai to the show. Imalik is the founder of Ecotone, who are a company with a really clear vision. I was fortunate enough to meet Imalik back in uh, December last year before one of his uh, talks at the AI Summit. Um, Ecotone, they've really been built to focus on developing AI-based medicines that can cure approximately 10,000 inherited diseases that would have typically been overlooked by Big Pharma. Really fascinating backstory. I was actually introduced, um, and I'm really grateful for that because taking a look into his background, really seen as a real pioneer in this space, and I'm really interested and excited to uh, get under the skin of what he's been doing. So thanks so much for coming on. as I kind of alluded to there, um, you've got a really interesting backstory. So would you mind kind of summarizing your journey to date and kind of what launched, what, what, I suppose, what took you to launch Echotone? Yeah, absolutely, Alex. Um, it's a pleasure it's a pleasure meeting at the AI Summit and happy to be on the podcast. Um, so I, I would say to, to, get, um, to understand where Echotone comes from, um, you have to start a little bit with me. Um, so I like to, um, to to make a little fun of myself. When people see me, uh, they usually think of like this, they think of a record jam band musician. That's the, one of the, <laughs> when you ask people what do they think of when they see me, um, which, is, which is cute, it's, it's fun. Um, but it belies that um, underneath all of that is I'm, I'm actually a neuroscientist. Um, and my... I, I launched the first medical AI company out of Columbia University. Uh, it was called Genetic Intelligence a few years ago. And that company did quite well. Um, was, I would say, one of the first medical AI companies in the most in the East Coast of the United States, I would say. Um, and the early investors for that company came out with like more than 20x returns and so forth. And th- this, all of that company, as well as Ecotone, came out of less of a reggae side of me, but more of a punk side, right, I would say. So not necessarily like, you know, like the music itself and going to record shops and finding out old, you know, albums from the 80s, um, more the way of thinking. Um, it was like radical questions. Um, this is something that I've been doing for for quite some time. Um, so back in graduate school, um, my PhD was... Um, in the studies of Alzheimer's disease. Um, and we were focused mainly on the proteins that were thought to cause disease. Um, and I was getting a world-class education on how to do experiments to determine how these proteins are working. Um, however, I thought that it was an elephant in the room. Um, that was that we knew 
that this disease typically affected very specific fam- groups of families. Um, it seems to have a very strong genetic trace to it. Um, it's an inherited disease. And so I was wondering why we were spending so much time on the proteins of the disease rather than studying the genetic root causes of the disease. Um, basically questioning the ground truths of what we were doing. Um, so I, about halfway through graduate school, started to ask questions about this. Um, and um, those questions sort of snowballed, ballooned and then snowballed. And at some point, uh, a Nobel laureate came to visit um, our, our school, our campus, and got word about these questions that I was asking. Um, and I got an opportunity to, to speak with him um, and I told him about my thoughts. Um, and he he actually agreed with me. And he he then said, like, hey, if you really believe in um, this line of thinking, um, I wel- he, he welcomed me to come to study. He asked me if I wanted to come to Columbia, actually here in New York City, to study genetics. Right? Um, and that's how I ended up in New York. Interesting. Right? So from that radical question. Um, so while I was at Columbia, um, I was in my postdoc now, um, I continued this line of radical questions. So while there, we were studying, you know, um, genetics with the folks with, with the, um, that have been doing this the best for several generations, you know, multiple Nobel Prizes. Mm. And I said, away with all of that, um, why don't we look at finding new ways to look at the entire field? So specifically, I said, what if we just look at the genetic code as like a data science problem? Mm, yeah look at it as like a zeros and ones problem. Um, and this led me to learn Python, um, um, which then naturally, um, because it's gen- gen- uh, the genetic space is like a big data problem, mm. like, you know, a uh, big dimensional space, um, led me to uh, artificial intelligence quite early before most people ever heard of the word and started to develop artificial intelligence solutions. Um, for genetics, which worked quite well, way better than I even expected. Um, this led to me run, um, to founding my first company, Genetic Intelligence, which was literally a combination of genetics plus artificial intelligence. Put those two together and you have genetic intelligence. Um, so that's that, that second radical question um, created a trajectory that was quite re- rewarding. Um, and now I would say ecotone is the result of a third radical question. Um, so this one is that can we leverage the latest developments in the generative AI space, particularly large language models, towards finding out the root causes and making cures for rare genetic diseases? Um, there's about 10,000 of these diseases. There's no medicines for most of them or just treatments that barely work. Many of them are fatal. Many of them affect infants or young children. Um, and they affect populations from all over the world. Um, and we are now having like a, uh, sort of a golden age of development in the AI era. And we believe that a particular type of generative AI that we call a large genome model could be the key to unlocking what are the root causes, the genetic root causes of all of these diseases, and then using that information to make medications that cure um, the diseases. Yeah, it's a fascinating backstory. And it's kind of this curious mind seems to be coming through in the last uh, number of years with you kind of it's asking those kind of begging questions, isn't it? Then obviously going away and trying to solve that. And I'm really interested to focus on your uh, point about large genome models, because 
no one on this, won't very much doubt it, uh, people who listen to this will have any clue uh, what an LGM is. But obviously, this goes back to almost 2018, doesn't it, when you kind of built your first model, which you obviously later called large genome models. But would you mind kind of talking through, obviously, there is a tie into kind of LLMs and Gen AI here, but ultimately, what is a, a genome model? Yeah, uh, so the genome model um, is a large genome model, LGM, I'll just use that from mm. now on. Uh, it's, I would say it's like a cousin to the LLMs, the large language models that are uh, all over the news um, um, as, of, as of 2023. Yeah. Um, so the LLMs uh, take in information or absorb training data of um, natural language sources like um, Wikipedia or Reddit and so forth. And then they do next word prediction or trying to guess the next word, um, which then results in really wonderful tools that we have now like ChatGPT and so forth. Um, and LGM is this, is similar, but it's distinguished in other, in other ways, uh, very important ways. So specifically, the LGM doesn't take a natural language. It takes in DNA language. Okay. Um, so the form of the LGM that we make takes in raw DNA code. So A, T, G, Cs, and so forth, uh, that gibberish that we call the DNA code, the, um, the LGM, that's what, it, that's what the training data actually is. Um, so, which is its own language, mm. right? So it's not natural language, it's a language of life, so to speak. Right? Um, and the goal of the LGM is to be able to make sense of this code that when we look at it, it doesn't make any sense to us, but when you put it within the regimen of the LGM, when you, when you make a model that is able to absorb the data, it starts to see patterns that we otherwise couldn't see. And most importantly, it starts to be able to pinpoint where in the genetic code the sources of rare genetic diseases are. Yeah, it's fascinating because obviously it's so unique, but you're right, it's the, the, the DNA, uh, it, genetics, that's ultimately is a whole multitude of kind of unique data to every person so obviously you're just bringing that together and utilizing artificial intelligence or the i suppose the the tooling available to us now that's really accelerating the rate at which you can kind of develop and i, I you know i'm interested to touch on that because obviously medicine uh, rare diseases biotech you know artificial intelligence is really kind of is helping the acceleration of disease management and uh, chronic disease detection. But in your opinion, why is that? Because obviously people still need to, like yourself, understand how to use it properly. So, so it's describe to me the impact that AI is actually having at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll just give the LGM yeah. as a, as a um, first example and expand from there. Um, so you mentioned that I had developed the first, my, my first LGM in 2018. Um, and again, to my knowledge, I don't, ha I don't think anybody has developed LGMs. So that makes me the inventor of yeah, LGMs. Nice. Um, <laughs> so I've got, I've got a flagpole for that. For <laughs> you now. should do. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you. Um, so one of the things that like, I noticed some, even that early version of it, of course, I've iterated since then quite a bit, but even that early version of it was, this was the first approach that was able to read the DNA code as a first language. Um, let me let me tell you what I mean by that because this was quite that was and is still quite very profound. Um, so when we when you look at a sentence, say I'm going to the the shop, um, 
And when you read that, that just makes natural intuitive sense to you. Um, when you read the equivalent in the DNA code, which is just a bunch of you know, TTAAA and so forth. That is not a first language for you. You don't get it, right? Um, and we had, a, you know, all these approaches within the scientific domain of trying to answer parts of the meanings of those letters by literally will knock out some part of them in some, you know, animal model or some some other sort of mm. model and then see what happens. And then we're like, okay, we know what this little part says now. Okay, now go somewhere else and knock that little part out and then see what that, what that does now and then on and on and on you're sort of this brutalistic um step by step very slow um approach to understanding what the code means um so the impact of ai is like what i noticed with the first lgm is that this this ai was reading the genetic code as a first language like it just had a natural intuition for it so the early results um i alluded um in the paper that i sent to you um it was that i was able to just using pure just genetic code the ai was able to tell me parts of populations of people that i didn't know existed right mm -hmm. so for instance i had thought that um, all of japan was made of just japanese people I never thought that there were several different groups of Japanese people. In fact, there's actually three or four groups of Japanese people that um, were one group was the first one to migrate in the islands, and then another one followed and migrated into the Japanese Isles, and then the third group, and then the fourth group, which became the major Japanese mm. group that we know now. The, the AI told me that without me having any idea because it was able to read the code as like a first language. Right? Yeah, amazing. Um, which is, which is fascinating. And now that is expanding, other people are seeing the same thing. Um, so NVIDIA, um, several groups are also seeing this impact of AI being able to read genetic code as like a first language. But also in the medical space, um, AI is helping us look at a much larger dimensional space than we otherwise ever have. Like for instance, being able to look at medical records of thousands or maybe millions of patients and find out like which patients are responding to particular drug doses better than others. Um, yeah, it's, um, I've seen a huge increase on the EHR and NLP piece. And I think you, you're only looking at all those startups that are, that, that are springing up, that are really using AI and obviously specifically NLP to look at red records, make suggestions on treatment, monitor their treatments. So I think the the health tech space is certainly benefited. I think for you, and correct me if I'm wrong, because of what you're doing is directly impacting treatments and disease management. There's obviously this whole regulatory approval, FDA uh, interest into kind of pushing through certain technologies and uh, solutions. So how are you kind of navigating that? Because obviously in the US, for those that listen here who aren't in the US, there's obviously 50 states, each with their own law. You obviously have the FDA. How are you navigating that? And obviously they don't move quickly, do they? <laughs> no amount of AI is going to move this quicker. So how are you navigating that from a, a motivation, a product release standpoint, just an innovation standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the the F, the, um, the regulatory framework um, in the in the United States is is quite challenged, but also it's not just here. So in the, the NHS National Health Service yeah. in England um, parallels in uh, in other countries as well. Um, so one of the really wonderful things about the space that that uh, Ecotone is in is 
um, if you compare us to the LLM space, the LLM space right now is a space where various governments um, or the, like, you know, groups like, like the EU and so forth are trying to find ways to put guardrails around the development of this technology. Mm. Um, the uh, nearly every state in the United States right now is considering um, laws to protect people from AI, um, as well as the national government. Um, and the EU just passed an AI yep. act just like maybe a month or two ago. Um, so contrast this to the AI within the medical space where the opposite is happening. So here we have the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration in the United States, um, actually carving out ways that we could introduce AI and digital and data science approaches to fasten and to fasten the speed of the um, development of medicines as well as the release of these medicines. Um, it, the the um, classic 10-year timeline that was the standard for when medicines go from inceptions to inception to patients as was shattered by the COVID pandemic oh, yeah. when um, several companies yeah, were able to release medicines in 18 months. Um, and now that we know that it's possible, the question is, can we repeat this and can we use the latest generation of technologies, including AI use of medicine to be able to, to, um, to hasten the process. Mm. Um, so again, like the LLM space, people are trying to slow things down while in the medical side of using AI, things are actually being hastened. You touched an interesting point about COVID and it's, um, it's amazing what happens when everyone comes together, uh, and how the urgency is kind of so pressing that what can happen, you know, and yeah, you're right. 18 months, first vaccines, then obviously enhancements, the vaccines happen because everyone came together in your, in your opinion, then what, what stops that happening? It was Ecotone's a good example for, for companies like you that are genuinely, um, creating and developing products that can save lives and can also help with disease management. What, what, what's the hold up here? Is it the nervousness and reluctance and kind of uncertainty or lack of awareness? Is it is it more an awareness issue here? Is it is it something more? Yeah, it's, um, I would say awareness. So for instance, we are moving very mm. fast. Um, so I'm going to say a few words that um, anyone in your audience um, may have challenges just because these words are all very yep. new. So um, one of them, one um, is zero shot drug discovery, right? Um, another one is AI designed medicines, right? And let's say the last one is programmable medicines, right? So let me, let me just walk mm. through those and you could see why when you speak these words to people, it takes them time for their neurons, their processing to take, to really absorb this. Um, and this includes like um, from the investors all the way to the to the regulatory mm -hmm. side with the FDA and the NHS. So zero shot drug discovery is a concept of when you discover a uh, go in and trying to find a cure for a disease, you get it right the first time and always the first time. Right? This this contrast. Um, the current way we are, we are discovering drugs, where most companies um, 
you know, from the old farmer days until, including into, into today, into the new farmer. When they want to go cure or find a treatment for disease, they oftentimes go through hundreds of thousands of different candidates that they test uh, either at the laboratory or in people or combination of or animals um, and sort of do this, this selection down all the way to hopefully they'll find the right one that works correctly. Right. And this is the reason why it takes so long for these mm. things to get approved, because most of the time they get it wrong. And then every so often you get like a little bit of golden grain that is the correct one. Um, zero shot drug discovery uh, is trying to go away from that. So we borrow language from the AI space where AI um, in the LLM, in the general AI space, there's words such as like many shot learning, few shot learning, one shot learning and zero shot learning. So many shot learning is uh, if I give you um, if I give it, put a dog and cat in front of you and I give you one picture of them, you usually will get it right yeah. correctly. You're like, this is a dog, this is a cat. Um, however, if you give it to like an AI, it usually takes many tries to be able to get it correctly. I say, okay. Um, um, and with drug discovery today, we have a many shot learning approach where we have many different types, many different drugs that we try and until we find the correct one, right? Um, Few shot one is just you have less examples that I needed to be able to get the right answer. Um, and then zero shot is you always get it correctly the first time you try it. Right? So this is a concept that like is very new. Um, even people within the, the industry in, in uh, pharma uh, have a hard time dealing with it because they're so accustomed to an old, older world. Um, and to be able to do zero shot learning, you have to change the paradigm. Paradigm. So this is what we mean by AI design medicines that are a type of medicine that are programmable. Mm -hmm. um, so programmable medicines are from a tree of medicines that began with personalized medicines, precision medicines, and now programmable medicines. Um, personalized medicines are just medicines that were personal that will work what we knew that would work in one group of people, but not in another. So for instance, ibuprofen um, and um, like Tylenol um, and um, what is the other one? Um, um, aspirin, yep. right? Aspirin. Um, so these work on different groups of people. So some people will prefer aspirin while others will prefer ibuprofen. Um, I believe um, paracetamol is the term used in Europe. The, yeah, there's um, ibuprofen, which is uh, it's like um, ibuprofen. It's called Nurofen, is the kind of uh, the UK version. Yeah. Paracetamol is the most common. Yeah, common one. Yeah, right. and some people will will prefer like one type of like one type over another. And like if you do population studies, you can like okay, this will work only for this one group, and get rid of their headaches, but it won't work for another. And therefore, you could say the medicine is not personalized. Uh, but it's like this large swath of individuals. Um, precision medicines were follow up on personalized medicines that were based more on, say, the proteins or the genetics of an individual um, and became much more precise um, over the last seven to 10 years um, as far as being able to, hey, this group of, let's say, multiple sclerosis patients will only respond to this medication because they have this particular type of like genetics, for instance, right? Um, so that's precision medicine. Um, so programmable medicines actually speaks to a, not just these patients, but the structure of the medicine itself. So here we want to make a medications that are sort of a rinse and repeat type medications. So the architecture of the medications or the sh its shell like, is just 
like I say, it's like the same car body again and again and again. And the inside of the medicine, the engine of it, is what's changed. Um, and this inside of it is just the DNA code that is what, that is the core, that is the core of why the medication works. Um, so if you just imagine like a car that has like a a body like you know um, I guess in in, London, in England like Jaguars yeah. are like something quite popular over there. So you always have your medication always looks like a Jaguar, mm. but inside of that Jaguar is like your engine, which could be a V six engine or V eight engine, or it could be an electric turbine. I say, yeah. Right. And we just change this one part um, specifically in the case of the medication, to the nucleic acids or the DNA of the individual taking the medication. Um, so this movement from personalized to precision to programmable medicines involve a series of innovative steps in the development of medications that allow us to be able to always um, to allow us to get to zero shot drug discovery, being able to discover a drug, the correct one, the first time and every single time. Right. And this is only could be done with AI. Yeah, it's amazing how that's accelerating and, and supporting this, as I said, drug disease, uh, drug detection, disease management. It generally is saving lives. And I think um, I think the quicker FDA or those kind of respected bodies um, can get to grips with it and understand it. And it sounds like they are making the right moves, but there is still so much legislation and hang-ups. And it's interesting you touched on the VC piece and people understanding actually ultimately is so advanced it's really them being educated as well about the benefits because obviously with their help you can accelerate that growth and i'm i'm I, i'm quite keen to understand i know you're you're in ai you, you know the generative ai space really well it's obviously you touched on it earlier kind of 2023 was the year that kind of gen ai and open ai became kind of front and center but how do you describe the current state of the market today yeah, that's that's a really really prescient question to ask today. Um, so, so let me um, just after we met at the um, in the London meet, I went to San Francisco, and I, I had this moment that will stay with me for a long, long time. Um, I got into a self-driving car that had no human driver in San Francisco. I've seen those. Interesting. You've seen how was it? Terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> It was, I was, I was, you know, I, I'm, I, um, I genuinely put my best face on as being brave, but I, I was scared. Yeah. Um, it, it, the car, the car, we, we caught, we hailed it, um, me and some friends and it came over and it parked just next to us. And I looked inside to where the driver would be and there was no driver. Okay. Um, <laughs> so this this was a, a car actually it was a jaguar yeah. that um was being run by waymo um and the software is controlling everything and it's an, it's an ai model that's inside of the car so we get in the car and then the car drove away confidently and fluidly it wasn't a modest driver it wasn't an aggressive driver either it just drove really well um wow and <laughs> that that gave me tingles uh like this, the future was here um, and there was no going backwards. Um, now that's, a, that's sort of a bookmark, um, to the moment that we are in today, where there's like a rapid innovation space, um, in the LM space and which is being right behind it 
um, that wave is a second wave of the VLM space. So LLMs, of course, are large language models and VLMs are vertical language models, um, which are models that are hyper-tuned to very specific segments yeah. of business or whatever it may be. Um, and that could be, for instance, the, the, um, the AI that was controlling the Waymo car was a VLM. It's, um, it's specifically tuned to be able to read roads and pedestrians and so forth. Okay. Um, and the LGM that Ecotone is building is also a VLM. It's, it's attuned to being able to read a genetic code. Um, and there's VLMs for banks like Morgan Stanley and JP Morgan and so forth that are hyper-tuned to the either market conditions or the internal data structures of the company mm -hmm. itself. Right. Um, so while the LLMs are generalists, the VLMs are specialists. And we don't know uh, which is going to be the winner. It's most likely going to be a combination of, of um, different tools for, for um, different sort of needs um, and a sort of a back and forth between LLMs and VLMs. Yeah. Um, and also the the one of the things that they do share in common now is that there is hallucinations that um, that uh, make it, make it difficult to have full trust in in these in these um, innovations. Um, so for us, it, like hallucinations, not just ecotone, but in the, the medical industry, um, hallucinations have a much more pronounced effect compared to, as they say, just being on a, using a chatbot. Um, we don't want a hallucination that gives a drug that doesn't either doesn't work or could be harmful, for instance. Yeah. Correct. Right. Um, so luckily, there's been lots of inroads with hallucinations. Um, I think there's just a little bit of a um, people believing that it's a black box that how hallucinations like, occur. Um, so that's not the case at all. We've made several inroads inside of Ecotone. Um, others as have as well. Um, like from what I could reveal, um, these hallucinations are coming out of what I call local minima. It's not my term. It's a term in the field. Um, but in my in my imagination, I see like a, a, a data space um, that's either the genetic code or financial data or so forth as having valleys and peaks um, for a good AI model to work, it does what I call like peak hopping or summit hopping, uh, where it goes to the local maxima of different information sources and jumps across different ones to confirm and give the right output. Um, if the model gets stuck in between one of those peaks, it's in a valley and it's really hard for it to get out. Um, and Therefore, it starts to look for information within that valley a little bit too much, and then starts to give you lots of fake information that shouldn't it shouldn't do. Um, so there's this sort of means for which you could help these models escape hallucinations, um, and also hallucinations are very specific to self-supervised learning. Um, so within the AI world, there's like reinforcement learning, there's um, unsupervised learning, there's self-supervised learning, there's, you know, and of course, supervised learning. And self-supervised learning is um, what ChatGPT is based out of and so forth. And because of the nature, the, the uh, I don't want to get too technical here, but the, the, how the loss functions work within, within self-supervised models, um, the loss function always has to give an output. 
simple as that, uh, for, for the model to continue to build and grow. Um, and even if the space that it's at is not super distinguished as far as the data it's absorbing, um, and when the data is not so differentiated, it tends to get stuck there rather than moving to the next data group or next data bin. Um, and that results in what we see as a hallucination way down the line. Um, so we take this quite seriously at Ecotone and I've investigated it quite deeply. Um, and in general, I think that hallucinations will be a thing of the past in the future as, as we develop AIs. Um, for medicine, as well as just in the LLM space in general. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right. I think the the, the rate of acceleration of this trend technology uh, has happened so quickly. It's almost like we need to take stock of where we are. Uh, the, uh, someone's referenced before the train has left the station. I know um, countries are trying to put guardrails around, rightly so, about responsible AI and ethical AI, um, but innovation. That's not going to slow down, but I think yeah, to make those models more effective, the probabilities higher, the hallucinations, as you rightly say, are less common, especially where it comes in drug discovery and drug administration. That's just uh, it's funny to talk about putting your trust in something. You put your own trust into getting into an autonomous driving vehicle, I guess. So there's a, there's a certain <laughs> point here that you probably that was a. But it's funny, isn't it? Because we talk about AI, we talk about innovation. Very often, very rarely do you actually see that. But for you to sit in a car, no driver, and that take you to your destination, that must, as you rightly said, be that light bulb moment thing. Hang on a minute. This is this is happening. So, yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I want to kind of give uh, the last question for me is really for Echo Tone and what we can expect to see over the coming months. Obviously, for those listening and watching, I'll uh, Make sure I tag you. You you got some awesome uh, publications and white papers that you're pushing out there, and I make sure people do take notes and check you guys out. But what are you working on at the moment that you can obviously talk about? Yeah, yeah, it's it's an exciting start to 2024 already. Um, two weeks into it, um, or two and a half weeks into it. Um, so, so Ecotone, we have a we have a, a very strong ethos of being as stealth as we possibly can. Um, many companies um, say stealth, but they don't really, it's more for marketing. We actually indeed are stealth because we are in a very competitive environment. Yeah. Um, so what when you see things from us, just know it's very well considered and uh, purposeful. Um, yeah. So one of the things that we are excited about is growing the team. Um, so the, the we, we now, I, could, I think I could mention, um, Martin, Dr. Martin Brigman um, is now part of Ecotone. Um, so Martin, um, he's from Germany, actually, uh, so from, from Europe, um, but he was at Stanford previously and um, was a co-founder of a really remarkable company called um, Occam's Razor. Um, so Occam's Razor, like, you know, the, the, the most easiest explanation is usually the correct one. Um, they use that to form a, form their company um, when they when he finished out of Stanford, out of his postdoc. And they were quite early to see that AI could be useful for medicine and um, use an approach called graph-based neural networks to study Parkinson's disease. Okay. Um, yeah. So Occam's Razor did quite well. Um, and now... Um, uh, Martin got very excited about 
using LGMs to study rare genetic diseases at large and been having potential to develop uh, programmable medicines. So he's coming on board with Ecotone. Um, so he's a superstar. Um, and we're looking forward to slowly adding new members to the team, like with intentionality, um, to, in, to maintain the radical nature of Ecotone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, do we have a very radical vision of being able to find a common solution to these diseases? And we look forward to having, um, new members like, like, that, um, like Martin that buy into the idea and believe that this is not an impossible task, that it is possible if you just take, take it step by step along the right road. Exciting times. No, thanks so much. What a perfect, uh, perfect point to end. As I said, I will uh, make sure we tag you guys. I know you're in stealth, but you've got some public, um, your LinkedIn profile and some other social links, which, uh, you know, as you say, are delivered with purpose and really interesting. You went into a lot of detail and uh, for those listening, whether they're technical or non-technical, I'm sure you've uh, have taken something out of this. So, Malik, thanks so, so much for your time uh, this uh, very cold, uh, wintry afternoon. I do appreciate it. Uh, it was this was this was really wonderful. Um, thank you so much. Pleasure. Thanks again.